What's going on, coaches? Looks like spring ball is in full effect for a lot of coaches out there. Hopefully, you guys are staying healthy. You guys are getting better um, and and getting some football in. Uh, big announcements from us. Uh, the track and field consortium by Tony Holler will be in Iowa at Ankeny High School with Coach Walls at his high school and then also at my new high school down in Texas uh, at McKinney. At our at our McKinney ISD Stadium, so we're really really excited to be able to host those. Both me and Walls that'll be in in June and July, um, as well as Coach Holler has uh, a lot of other uh, cities that they're going to. But me and Walls both got to speak at one together a few years back, and we're excited to now get to host one. Uh, we've learned a ton from it, and so we're excited to get to talk some football with you guys on that. Obviously, if you guys need anything from us, you can go check us out at RunThePower.com. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Legend Rings. As coaches, we all know the best way to represent our big win is with the championship ring. And the team at Legend Rings wants to help you celebrate your regional and state championship title this season. Their goal is to make your championship ring purchase simple, easy, and affordable from design to delivery. Check them out at legendrings.com or email info at legendrings.com to get started. Let them know that Run the Power sent you and they will make your ring for free. Again, go check them out at legendrings.com. This episode of the RTP podcast is brought to you by our guys over at Just Play. The team at Just Play hooked us up with their product, as you guys know, uh, and it's been a game changer for us. If you've seen us on Twitter or uh, have talked to us about this at all. We obviously especially love the playbook tools that allow us to create our favorite blocking schemes, as you guys know, power, counter, inside zone, pin and pull. Uh, and formations so we can save time and be more productive. That's the biggest part. Saves time on defenses, saves time on, on inputting offensive uh, formations, and then easy to draw the play out. Just Play is a limited time offer for RTP listeners only. Get my Just Play Pro for $120, which is an unbelievable $60 off the normal list price. Uh, this offer has been extended uh, and won't last forever. You can get this deal at justplaysolutions.com RTP. The best playbook tool on the market at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. Don't wait. Go do it today. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to high schools around the country. Whether you write your own programs, have a full-time strength coach, or need training programs, Team Builder can make your program better. Right now, Team Builder is offering a 10-week off-season football training program with a two-a-day speed and agility program. This template even comes with videos from some of the top SEC strength coaches that will show you how to run your weight room. Visit their website and enter the code RTP to get the off-season football training template and start your 14-day completely free trial at teambuilder.com. Again, enter code RTP at teambuilder.com, which is team, B-U-I-L-D-R.com. On this episode of RTP brought to you by Legend Rings, we talk with Drew Burton. Coach Burton is the O-line and tight ends coach and run game coordinator at Saginaw Valley State University in University Center, Michigan. Listen as we talk with Coach Burton about recruiting and developing O-linemen and tight ends, how to stand out in a state with several colleges that play football, and making the move from working in private sector to coaching football. You can follow Coach Burton on Twitter at Coach Drew Burton. Hope you guys enjoy.
grew up in, in North Idaho, a little town called Moscow, and, and father was a professor at the University of Idaho. And uh, after sixth grade, uh, my parents split up, my mom moved to Southeast Michigan, she's a professor as well. And so I spent about half of the rest of my high school time uh, in Southeast Michigan uh, at, at, in a town called Brighton, which is probably about 20 minutes from Ann Arbor. And then actually moved back to, to North Idaho and finished up there. And then uh, was fortunate enough to get a scholarship at the University of Idaho, which is kind of what I grew up wanting to do really my whole life and watching the Vandals. And there was some great tradition there with Coach Erickson and Keith Gilbertson's a great one that's really not around anymore. And John L. Smith. And there was there were some great teams uh, at the University of Idaho at that time. So that really was what I always wanted to do and had some walk-on opportunities at some you know, Pac-12 schools with Pac-10 at the time, and but really always wanted to go to, to Idaho. And, and so took a scholarship and went there, uh, was recruited by Tom Cable and Tim Drevno was my offensive line coach. And um, so, you know, was there for two years. It was kind of a tough situation. There was still FBS at the time. And like we're playing in the Sunbelt Conference with I mean, some of the schools. I mean, obviously, it's a very different conference now. It wasn't a great situation. A lot of the players were a lot of players were leaving. A lot of coaches were leaving kind of a, but really good coaches there. Obviously, Coach Capes has been a long time NFL offensive line coach. And I believe is with the Las Vegas Raiders now. I think until very recently, Coach Drevno was like with the with it was the offensive line coach at USC. And so was was really fortunate to get to learn. Don't really talk to those guys. Uh, anymore, um, but did learn a lot from them. And then really, you know, I have two younger brothers and so they were growing up and I had been in North Idaho there for like the last four or five years. And, and for a variety of reasons, obviously was looking to get into a new situation and transfer someplace and wanted to be a bigger part of their lives as they were growing up and starting to play high school football and things they are both younger. Um, so transferred to Grand Valley State, uh, played for you know, Coach Kelly and, and Coach Quinn, obviously they're huge now. Um, that was after they had won a national championship the previous year. And then I was there for four years and was very fortunate to, you know, to win. Uh, we won three national championships over the four years I was there. And then uh, those guys left after the first year, Coach Kelly and Coach Quinn and most of the staff went up to Central Michigan. Coach Martin took over that's that's at Miami now and uh, played for him my last three years. And got done and started selling real estate in Grand Rapids. Um, my wife that I, you know, we're still married, obviously, and uh, met her at, right after I got done playing, and um, which is always a hell of a thing to say now in coaching, right? It's always good, it's good news. So <laughs> that's but, exactly uh, right. Yeah, uh, um, her family's from West Michigan, and so I sold real estate in Grand in Grand Rapids right before the crash. I was selling foreclosure real estate in Grand Rapids and was it had a ridiculous income for a 24 year old kid running around that didn't know anything about anything. And then got my first coaching job in 2009 at Grand Haven high school and was the defensive line coach at Grand Haven, just kind of through a friend of a friend. I had played a couple years of arena football there and through some guys that I had met during that period of time, had, had got that job at Grand Haven and then really wanted to get into college coaching and just got the sickness, as they say, got the bug. And, and so we, Went to Wisconsin Stevens Point for the next four years, from 2010 to 2013. Had a great experience. Started out, I was the you know, I was the graduate assistant there for two years, and became you know was the offensive line coach that whole time. That was the staff structure. I think there was only like four full time guys on the staff at the time, and the offensive line coach was essentially a part time role. So I was very fortunate and very unlucky that I got to be the offensive line coach right out the bat, and 
probably didn't know what I was doing, but at the same time, got some really valuable experience in a really, really good league. And we recruited a, a young man named Ryan Ramchek is playing right tackle for the Saints now towards the end of that period. And um, he made us look really smart. Um, stayed there for bet. two years and then then went to Wisconsin and then uh, was an All-American. It was a first-round draft pick and things like that. So at the end of 2013, my wife and I had just had a child. Our daughter's now seven and she wasn't working and, you know, we were making some ridiculous, you know, poverty line level amount of money. So we wanted to get back to Michigan uh, where you know, my mom's, you know, her families are, are both at and got a chance to go to Alamo College and be the co-offense coordinator and offensive line coach. And Vince was elevated to offensive line co- or to offensive coordinator um, and was there for four years and, and came into a situation where the previous three years before I had got there, we had won three football games. Then the last last three years that we were there, we won 16 football games. So we had some nice success in Alma. And through a connection from Stevens Point, another connection in Alma, and uh, was very fortunate that Coach Collins had hired me at Saginaw Valley State, which is where I'm at now uh, as offense line coach, run game coordinator. And uh, so I guess that's always like the confusing thing now, right? Is like, what year is this kid in school? It's like, well, he was supposed to be a redshirt sophomore, but we didn't play, so I don't know. So <laughs> technically, I've been here like three calendar years. That's what I can tell you. Um, although we've only played, you know, obviously played in 18 and 19, and then we're going to kind of do a little bit of an abbreviated schedule here this spring. And then, um, 2021, obviously will be my third season and fourth year, if that makes any sense. But, um, so that's how I got from, you know, from, from birth to, to where I'm at now. So, <laughs> well, coach, that's something I don't think you hear from many football coaches as, as both parents are, were college professors, um, was there any pushback from either of them, you know, that you wanted to go play college football or uh, that was kind of, you know, that was always wasn't a big deal at that point for them? Well, you know, dad's a sports psychologist. So obviously dad was, um, which the joke is in the sports psychology community, which I don't, you know, there's not a very big sports psychology community, but he always right. says like the uh, you know, sports psychologists are essentially, you know, coaches that their spouse or somebody you know, made them stop coaching. And so then they get into sports psychology because <laughs> it's the next best thing. So, um, but dad was, obviously was a huge influence on me. He was, a, you know, was a college football player, college basketball player, at Kansas state and grew up in rural Kansas and was very supportive of me during my athletic career and things like that. So, um, but I think in terms of, you know, some of those things that I just, I grew up in, it's, it's funny. Cause I, you know, I grew up in academia and sometimes my mom will kind of put, you know, put her, put her hand on my shoulder and say, Hey, um, you know, you're, you're going to get a PhD at some point in time. Like, it's like, like you would tell somebody like, Oh, Hey, you're, you're going to die in six months. That kind of thing. It's like, <laughs> listen, just understand. Like, don't tell me that eventually I realized that I'm, you know, cause I built that PhDs obviously. So I was like everybody else, right. My parents are, are doing this and they're in education. So I want to, I want to get into business, man. I want to make some money. Nobody's got any money. I want to make, want to make more money. And so obviously we, we got into business right there for a little bit, made a lot of money and obviously just felt like just wanted to, you know, do something where we're serving and, and helping young kids grow. And like I said, as soon as I got into coaching, it was clear that that's what I really was passionate about doing and enjoyed doing and wanted to do. And so the business career at that point was probably over. Um, but 
it's funny. It was, you know, it's the Godfather line, right? I, I, I got sucked back into it. So I, I had a great <laughs> right. plan. It was like, man, we're gonna, I should be retired by now, but no, <laughs> instead we're, we're coaching, but it, it's, I haven't worked a day, honestly, man, I haven't worked a day since I got into college. Obviously when you get started, it's extremely difficult and there's not very much money and there's all those things that everybody tells you about, but what a job. I mean, what a job. We, it just, it's ball and all day long. And so we're, we're very fortunate. So we're, we're in that honeymoon phase that, you know, you get done with your last final and then you're kind of, so we just signed our recruiting class yesterday. So I'm still in that mindset of like, just, you know, coasting essentially through right. you know, everything that happens when you get up to just sign the whole class. It was a tremendous class and we can finally talk about them and things like that. And so, um, but yeah, it's, you know, we've, we've been very blessed in terms of just where we've been able to go and the people we've been able to be around and the kids that we've been able, man, we've been places where there's just phenomenal kids and tough kids. And it's been a hell of a ride. We we've been very fortunate. So. Well, coach. So, so my dad's a high school football coach and, and um, uh, you know, basically every time, and I don't see him a whole lot, but every time we talk, uh, it, we're talking football. I mean, it, sure. it's about all there is to talk about, you know, how the, how are our, you know, my two kids, how's his grandkids. And then we just sit around and talk football or wait, you know, weight room or whatever it is around football. So it, it, is that, does that come, you know, with your conversations with your dad, having that, that um, sports psychology background or those things that you guys are, are constantly talking about, or those things that you guys have talked about, uh, you know, for you to use in your, in your coaching career, uh, how, how has that worked out for, I mean, have you tried to implement that? Like you say, there's, there's not just that many coaches um, very heavily into that. And, and you've got at least a, a portal, it seems like to, to know a lot more information than a lot of coaches. Have you tried to use some of that information um, as a coach? Absolutely. And there's different things that I've, I've taken from him and he's got a, you know, a bunch of different books that he's written and things like that. And there's a textbook that, that I read relatively regularly in terms of there's different sections that I'll go back to and things like that, but goal setting being the biggest one. And I think I started doing some of these things later on in my football career. And, and I was at Grand Valley at, at a point in time when we were really good. Uh, so to give you an example, they did a two deep of like Ferris State versus Grand Valley. Like there was no game this year. So they said, okay, in honor of the game, we're going to do an all-time two deep. And almost all of those guys at Grand Valley were in that two deep. I mean, we're NFL guys. And those were most, a lot of guys from the 2000s and things like that. So I was not an NFL guy. So I was kind of fighting and battling my entire career uh, to, to get on the field. And so anything that I could do that would going to give me an advantage that was within the rules, I was going to always try to do. So some of the things that I did in relation to goal setting and how that would allow me to take little things that I was trying to learn and grow and get better at and, and improve at those things relatively quickly. I think we're definitely the biggest tools and things that I've taken uh, from things that I've, you know, discussions I've had with my dad since I was you know, being taught these things since I was five years old. And that we do those things with our players all the time. I do those things with our offensive linemen and our tight ends all the time. And so, um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of that definitely that's going on and, and different team building things. And it's been something that's been a, a huge tool, huge instrument uh, for me in terms of trying to take any of these programs that I've been involved with and make them better. And he's been obviously intricately involved in all those things. Cause it's, it, it just exactly what you described is essentially what the conversations we have. We probably talk two or three times a week and it's, you know, very football heavy. And, you know, my mom, my dad are both originally, I mean, they met at Kansas state and they're both from Kansas. So we're big chiefs fans. So there's been a lot of 
you know, December and January excited, you know, conversations and phone calls as we've been watching Patrick Mahomes and things like that. So obviously that's, that's a big part of the conversations too, but in terms of, um, you know, it's just, it's, it, that's been a huge part of essentially everything I've done here the last 10 or 12 years since we've been coaching. So. Well, go Chiefs. There's no doubt about that. I'm, I'm definitely all, <laughs> okay. all, all the about the friends. Chiefs. It's amazing. All, all about the Chiefs this weekend, man. Hopefully they get it done. Um, the other question I have for you too, Coach, is, you know, you started off saying, you know, hey, I went into uh, real estate. I find it fascinating, again, you know, how many coaches, you know, are in business, you know, are in sales, and then go back and get into coaching. Obviously, you missed the game, but there's, there's so many, I think, right. you know, unbelievable, you know, parallels you know, especially when you get to college, you know, having to communicate and talk and, and recruit people and things like that, you know, can you talk a little bit about how, you know, being in sales and then, you know, maybe kind of appreciating the real world and then getting into, you know, coaching, how some of those skills have really kind of translated over? Well, there was, there was a guy that I worked for when I first got into coaches, his name was Aaron Vlecko, and he had spent a lot of time at Bemidji State and Truman State. And, and they're both tremendous division two schools. We had Truman on the schedule. So I know he talked to me a lot about, you know, Truman's a big time academic school nationwide recruiting school. Bemidji's like way up in Northern Minnesota. And so I, I just remember one of the first things he told me when I got in and he had been in for 15 years already in, in college coaching. He just said, listen, this is 70% sales. Coaching is 70% sales. There's there's a bunch of football and you have to understand all these things that, that you have to understand. You got to learn the pass game better because you're an line guy, et cetera, et cetera. But he just says almost all of this is sales and the different things that he had done at some of the places, again, that were a little bit exclusive in terms of maybe a little bit remote location at one of the spots and a really narrow student that you could recruit at the other places and finding different, you know, business solutions in terms of where can I find the kids that we need to go recruit and where are we going to be able to, and how am I going to convince, you know, a kid from Phoenix or Miami or wherever else to, to come to Missouri or from, you know, California to come all, all the way up to Northern Minnesota where it's going to be minus 20 until March one, and then it's going to get to zero, those types of things. And so, I learned so much from him in terms of just understanding that what you just said is huge. There's so many parallels between business and coaching because at the end of the day, as you guys know, it's finding different ways to recruit the best players are easily the most important things that we do as coaches, especially as college coaches, obviously. Um, so it just in terms of, and hopefully that answers your question, but it, I mean, that's, it's there's so many parallels it's almost you almost wouldn't want to you understand why you know the guy at coastal carolina which i could listen to you guys talk to the, the oc at, at lamar that have been there before and and talk about that you know that gentleman's business background and things like that how that helped him be really successful and i know that it helped me um so in terms of just kind of looking for creative solutions that's what doing business and that's definitely what we do in college football so mm -hmm. Uh, coach, I'm, you know, I'm an offensive line coach. Our, our head coach just got let go. So, uh, you know, we've kind of all decided to go and me and my wife, Hey, let's go find a new job out of state and, and go Good that luck, way. Man. That's yeah. easy. I've been there. <laughs> it's not a whole lot of fun, but it, it, it kind of, we're trying to see the good things in it and, uh, sure. you know, get to move around a little bit. So, you know, kind of where I'm at is, okay. I've been an offensive line coach for years, love offensive line. And then, but 
you know, there's a lot of people that say, hey, you, you need to look into what's your next step. Is it going to be a coordinator? And, and you know, all of those things. Um, you've made that leap at one point going from offensive line to offensive coordinator. What was that, what was that uh, you know, jump like? Was it, uh, was it something that you could still have a hand in the offensive line? Uh, did you enjoy that? What were some big things that you learned from making that jump? Uh, what was that transition like for you? I think sometimes you're ready for those opportunities. And sometimes I think those opportunities are like, all right, you're going to call the plays, you know, good luck, you know, that kind of situation. <laughs> sure. And so, but I think my favorite, I mean, it's honestly one of my favorite things to talk about just because it's like, okay, now I'm the coordinator. Do I have to, I have to wear a rayon coat and carry beakers around and like, where, like, what, what are the differences, right? I'm supposed to be, I'm not allowed to just headbutt everybody that I see and things like that. I'm, I'm supposed to be this different person. So I, I still coach the offensive line. Um, and then we had kind of done some different things because I think at the end of the day, I had a really good conversation with um, this guy. He had been at like Oklahoma State. He had been at Houston. He had been at North Carolina with some really, really good people. And I remember he told me it was the same situation. Offensive line coach just became a coordinator. He basically said, listen, all these places that I've been, whether it's you know, Mike Gundy or in any of these places, there's always two guys doing it. So if you're the court, you, know, you could easily have the offensive line guy be the coordinator. You could easily have. Uh, the quarterback's guy be the coordinator. Ultimately, the, the quarterback's guy is going to lean on the offensive line for the run stuff, and and you know the offensive line guy is going to lean on the quarterback's guy for um, the the throw stuff. And and so I think I think it's most important, like to answer your question without answering your question. The the most important thing about that is making sure that you have a really clear plan with whoever you're working with, because one guy calling it just is not as good as it would be otherwise. And, um, and I don't, like I said, I'm sure there's guys that call it all by themselves that do a fantastic job. I think just hearing some different things from guys at like the highest, highest power five levels saying like, it's always more than one guy doing it. There's always collaboration. There's always, you know, different things. And I think in each of those situations that I've been in, um, there's been a really good rapport with the quarterbacks guy and we had really clear and, and as I'm getting older and smarter, right. We don't you know, get fired up on the sidelines or things like that. We just were, when you get into those situations that, you know, it's, it's a big third and one, it's a big situation in a big football game, that type of thing. And, and, and a lot of times we try to talk about everything, right. Everybody does. We try to cover every possible situation that we could, we could encounter in that deal before we get there. But at the end of the day, there's always going to be something that you're going to run into that maybe you haven't, that you haven't planned for. And so I think having a really good rapport with that person and, and talking about those things when, you know, it just, it gets real thick and man, it, 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 everybody's very tense and all those different types of things happen. I think um, that's the most important thing, more so than me understanding every little intricacy of the throw game or more so than the quarterback's guy understanding every little adjustment, you know, what plays we want to run into what fronts and things like that. I think when you have a really good rapport with that other person that you're looking, that you're working for and with, that's the most important thing. If you have that, you, you are going to solve most of your problems. So which kind of along the, the same lines, you know, I if follow you on Twitter and things like that. And you see you know, your job description, you coach O-line and tight ends. So I'm always yep. fascinated by, you know, kind of that, that dichotomy, you know, how do you kind of break that up? Do you have a, a GA or someone helping you? Or is it something that's like, Hey man, in our offense, you know, the tight end is going to be basically, you know, another tackle. Or is that something, you know what, I got to be kind of involved in, you know, the blocking schemes, the pass game, just kind of wondering how you break up, you know, that position to, to be able to coach kind of both those skill sets. 
Sure. And we just signed a bunch of really good tight ends. And I think not to just regurgitate the recruiting spiel and it's not a spiel. I think it's, it's the best way that you could do it. Cause again, at this level, at the division two level, nobody in America has got a full-time tight ends coach. So I think how we try to obviously sell it to the kids and how we try to do it so that it's as good as it can be is essentially, listen, you're getting two full-time position coaches. So you're going to be with the offensive line and we do a good job organizing our meetings so that we know, listen, I'm going to meet from, you know, 10 to 10 30 run game stuff with the tight ends guy there. And then those guys are going to you know jump into the next room with the quarterbacks and all of their throw stuff is going to be organized in the back half of that meeting so that those guys are getting all those things. And obviously I, I'm, so we're, we're in a situation where a new coordinator. Um, and so the Titans were not very involved. They essentially were that third tackle uh, in kind of the last system. And now we're very um, Oklahoma run and shoot 11 personnel where those guys, we really want those guys to be heavily involved in the throw game. So it's, it's critical for me to, after, like I said, we didn't get a spring and then we got a little abbreviated fall. And so by the time we get to the fall, I need to make sure that any of those things that happen in the throw game that are, are getting coached from both, from both ends, regardless of which room the guys are in in exactly the same way. Uh, but that's how we try to do it is make sure that it's, it's super organized because those guys, other than the quarterback have to know more than anybody else in our offense, because they've got to know all the run stuff and mm-hmm. we're a big zone wide zone, you know, counter power team and then we're doing a you know, variety of different things with those guys in the throw game as well so they really have to know more than anybody than the quarterback and they really warrant twice as much of our time as opposed to you know a fraction of it so I think we do a real we're doing a really good job with that right now obviously we got to work really hard to continue that but that's that's essentially what what it needs to be in order for it to to function as as efficiently as we want it to as you essentially really have two full-time position coaches so well, coach, along like the go ahead, Walls. I was just say, yeah, I, I like I like the idea. I've never really heard, you know, sending them with the the QBs, but I think I think that's genius, honestly. You know, send them with the QBs, and they're going to be the ones that kind of learn, you know, both aspects of it. And I would imagine if you're playing with a tight end, you're probably asking them to do some protection things too. It, it would make sense that you're in with the coordinator no and the QBs, so they're they're learning all the little nuances. We haven't played any games yet. So I don't know how genius it is. I hope you're right. Now, hopefully that works out. <laughs> hopefully that's exactly what it is. But it's been it's it's been really good so far. We'll see. Obviously, we got a long way to go. But we got two really good tight ends. That's that's and a bunch of other guys. I think that we really like. They're coming along. So that's definitely the most important part of the process. So, so coach, that's always a big question I have for college guys. Um, is is how are you recruiting these tight ends because. Um, you know, here at the high school level, and and there are certain offenses. I think you take some some little bit leaner tackles. I'm sure you can make them into tight ends. But when you're wanting the guy that can kind of do it all, how what kind of guys are you looking to recruit? Because at least it seems like at the high school level, I, you know, there's guys I've been on teams where I'm like, he would make an unbelievable tight end, but he's got to play quarterback for us, or he's got to play our middle linebacker, or he's playing you know, maybe left tackle for some teams. It just, it all just depends in high school. Very rarely are you going to be able to take one of your best athletes and put them at tight end, um, you know, unless it's just, you know, the perfect setup for for a team. So as a college, what are you guys looking for? What positions are you guys looking at? How do you guys evaluate for that position when, you know, there's so many, rarely so teams in high school that even have a tight end anymore. And when they do, it's not normally their best athlete. 
Sure. And I, I'm constantly saying that it's like how many high school teams. And again, I reckon, you know, I've spent enough time in like San Antonio and Houston and, and some different places down South and then Texas that obviously I reckon it's, it's not definitely not the same up here in terms of just the emphasis and things like that and how much development our guys are probably getting, but it's like how many teams have so many good offensive linemen that, you know, one of the smaller ones or one of the leaner ones, or one of those types of guys cannot play offensive line. It just doesn't, I mean, it doesn't happen. So I think, you know, we took four guys in this class, which was a little bit unique for us. We, we just, I mean, we really liked these guys. And so it was one of those, you have those conversations in those meetings, like, uh, Hey, what, what if they all commit? And it's like, Oh, uh, well, that'd be great if that happened, you know, that kind of thing. That's kind of what happened to us this year. But um, there's one really just ridiculous story, and I still am pinching myself here. It's like 24 hours later, we got a young man that's about six, seven, and 235 pounds, and essentially just like didn't like just didn't put post any of his highlights. <laughs> he's <laughs> unbelievable. And as like two power five athletes, his parents, he's a really smart squared away kid. And he's like, looks like Travis Kelsey running around in, in you know, division six Michigan high school football. And he's great. And we think he's got a chance to be really good. Um, that, that, that's never happened to me before. So that, that would not be the, the plan. And then um, kind of, you know, another young man was like, you know, his team was a double tight T team and he was one of the tight ends and he was essentially, they, you know, they, they did some things where he essentially was another offensive lineman, but there's some different things where we saw him catching the ball and things like that. A lot of these guys honestly are, they're playing receiver again, cause that's, that's, it's kind of what you said in terms of, if you don't have enough good offensive linemen, you're like, listen, we're not going to run the ball anyway. We got to at least get this guy the ball some way because he's a good athlete. And so the kid's about probably six, four and two fifteen ish. And he was essentially playing receiver. Well, then you got to do a really good job during the evaluation process and the workouts and all these things saying like making, making sure that those types of guys that really don't have any film of blocking that you feel really comfortable that they can do all the things you want blocking. Um, and then, you know, kind of that, those are really the profiles. And I think, we it's very it's been very easy for us to recruit that position because we get and we're essentially in 11 all the time and then we're in 12 a good chunk of the time um and i don't know what the percentage is ultimately going to be it's going to depend on how well we throw the ball which i think we have a chance to throw the ball really well we just have a couple young quarterbacks but um that makes it easier to recruit those guys and and uh obviously you know the things that i think we do and those guys can come to practice and they can see that you know, we're, we're using those guys. It's just been hard because normally you use your game film when you bring kids on campus and say, okay, this right. is what we do. And this is, you know, we try to show them like different, like a couple drives, like, Hey, here's a couple drives against somebody that's pretty good. And we're not going to necessarily just show you a highlight tape. Cause that's, that's fool's gold and kids. I don't think necessarily respond as much to that as, as maybe sometimes we like, but it, it gives them a, a chance to see kind of how you would call a game and what you would do. And, and some of those things. So, um, but we, I think at the end of it, it's like we put a ton of emphasis on it's a really important position for us. And we invest in it. We invest in the evaluation. We invest in the scholarships. And we invest in all those things because those guys need to be really good because there's – so we have to deal with the Bearcat. And, again, I continually – I just talked to a good friend of mine that hired me here is the OC at Dayton. And so Ferris State did this, and they took it from Northwest Missouri State. And I want to say there's some schools down in, in the GHT and that you – know, that are doing this and it's essentially a four one with essentially what they get to is two four eyes and two two eyes and like a deep mic backer that's running C gap to C gap. And 
I, you can't really play the defense unless you have a phenomenal defensive line, but it was essentially invented, I think, just to kill 10 personnel. Uh, and it's all match quarters and, and things like that. And so we have to deal with that. And it's in our league. Now there's three teams that are playing this defense. So Grand Valley plays it. They're obviously, you know, typically in the top 10 in the country and Ferris State plays it. And, and they were ranked number one, I think, for most of the season last year and lost really, really late in the playoffs. And obviously we're playing it. So for us, we have to be able to deal with that defense. It's so hard to deal with that defense without tight ends. And so as, as the defense becomes more prevalent, there's nowhere to run the ball. You got safeties that are, you know, seven yards off the football and, and a mic that runs and, you know, A gaps and B gaps and things like that. And those DNs are getting hands on your tackles. So it's very difficult to combo the two eyes and things like that. It's just a, at the end of the day, you're still playing essentially man across the board. So if you can't cover really well, it's probably pretty tough to play, but Everybody does it, and so it's just something we've been forced to deal with. But when I talked to my buddy at Dayton to go back to that, he just says, I've drawn this up. He left and went to Army, and then now he's at Dayton. He's just, I left. I, I, I have drawn this up everywhere, and nobody's ever seen it. It's like it doesn't exist. It's like I'm talking about a ghost, essentially. But so that's another kind of piece to that tight end question in terms of if we got to deal with, you know, you got, because again, you always got to deal with whoever's in your league. Right. So whenever you that's right, the answers to those questions, always the origin is almost always, well, this really good team in our league does this. And we have to, you know, we spend all of our time trying to deal with it. So I think we're no different than anybody else in in that way. So. So, coach, and this is going to be a horrible question, so I apologize for it. But but (laughs) in in general, um, you've got to take, you know, a tight end and you've either got to make is it easier to take the kid that already has the ball skills and and in general turn him into a guy that's good enough at blocking or is it easier would you rather take a guy that has shown he's a glorified lineman and then try to turn him into a somewhat of a pass threat no it's not i don't think it was nearly as horrible a question as you originally made it out to be so that was <laughs> well i know was, it all depends on the kid and, scary, and there's a lot of tactics. different things no, it, it really does depend on the kid because I think you could take a really tough, hard-nosed kid that's athletic and say, listen, we got to throw you the ball, you know, 15 times a game because, you know, we're a little high school team in, in the Midwest and you're our best athlete or, you know, whatever those things are. A lot of times those kids end up playing quarterback, but then if the kid is, is you know, just a bigger kid, a lot of times that's that's what teams will do. So there's a lot of instances where you could take a kid that's got you know, phenomenal ball skills and say, listen, you got to block all the time because we don't have anybody that can, we just need one more really good blocker and we're going to have a, a hellacious run game or some of those types of things. So I think all those, you know, it, it, yes, essentially is the answer. It could be any of those things, but I think <laughs> it, what you said was hundred percent right. Is it, it really just, it, it comes back to the kid and what type of kid he is. If he's a hard nosed kid, he, he can get good at blocking um, if, you know, if you, I, I think ball, having ball skills is very innate, you know, kids have been catching a football since they're five years old, you know? So if you're 18 and you can't catch a football, uh, you're probably not gonna be able to catch a football. Now, most kids, you know, grew up catching that thing. And most kids were not taught, you know, to play offensive line, you know, or, or put their hand in the dirt and actually block somebody. So to me, that's a much more trainable skill because so few kids especially if they're a really good athlete have ever actually done that and so right. I think you just have to recognize that think about how long it takes to develop a really good offensive lineman and you're talking about a two to three year process just to 
you know, to get to the point where you understand the fundamentals and the techniques. And, and if the kid wants to, he can do it. But I think maybe more so than whether or not, you know, which, which one is the better idea is understanding the timeline for us in terms of how long it takes a kid to be able to do that. So I, I got become very fascinated with this when I was down recruiting Texas. And it was like, you know, I, I got to know the programs and how things operate and how they function. It's like, these kids have been division one athletes since they were in seventh grade, essentially in terms of the amount of time that they were putting into football. And so then I turn on the television and it's like, man, Michigan state's beating Baylor in the bowl game. I want to say one of the years that I'd spent a bunch of time down in Texas, I came back. And I think after two or three years, you get into a system and you teach, you know, a young man how to do whatever those things are that you're asking him to do. I think it kind of evens itself out. So I think if you, if you, hang out with the division one strength staff for a couple of years and a tight ends coach or an offensive line coach that you're going to catch those guys up by the time they're redshirt freshmen, redshirt sophomores, it essentially becomes a wash um, in terms of just the development process of it. I think it's at least my theory, but I think that's huge in terms of just going back to the tight end part of it is we have to recognize, okay, if this guy didn't block anybody in high school, it's going to take him some time to learn how to, to learn how to block guys. Whereas, you know, if he was, you know, this kid was a converted offensive lineman, he played offensive line in high school, we think he's athletic enough to, um, you know, catch, catch footballs and do all the things we need to do in the throw game. Um, then we got to make sure and feel really comfortable that he can, you know, he can catch a football and he can do all those different things because those are, are going to be much more difficult to, to teach him how to do if he can't do them already. Coach, you talk about your league as well, and and you guys honestly playing one of the the tougher leagues. And and not only that, you know, you're dealing with a lot of other teams that are actually in the same state that you guys are in. You know, how do you kind of you know separate yourself within your league? How do you separate yourself a little bit, maybe, uh, for you know recruiting battles and things like that? Uh, what are some ways that you guys are are trying to do that? And uh, you know, hopefully, you'll obviously finish in the top half of your league or, or even be winning that thing. Sure. And I think we can cast a pretty wide net. So we've got some really nice things at, at Saginaw Valley in terms of we don't have, we essentially eliminated out-of-state tuition. So there's great football in Ohio. There's great football in Northern Indiana. There's great football in Chicago. There's great football in you know, Southeast, different places in Wisconsin. There's really good football. And that's all those are within probably maybe seven hours of where we are. And so I think we can, we can cast a little bit wider net. We've got like a beautiful indoor facility and we've got all these things that when you, when you go out and we had one young man that committed to us that had a 50% scholarship in an FCS school. So when you look at, you know, there's no FCS football in Michigan, right? So um, there's, you know, Youngstown's down in Ohio, but in terms of FCS football, obviously there's a lot of it in Illinois, but you look at, you got one school in Indiana and then Ohio and then Michigan. And so I think for the kids that are around here, um, I think there's a different fit, right? Every, every school has got a different fit. And ours is we're starting to get every time I get maybe two, three years down the road at a school, I start to become very in, in like, like any place you, you understand what the fit is in terms of the kid that's going to be successful at your school or the kid that's going to lean towards your school that type of thing. And so we try to hone in on those kids. And I think we've got a lot of advantages. So facilities wise, we're really, really good. We probably got, you know, we're, we're probably one of the top schools in the country at division two level in terms of the facilities that we have. 
I think we've got a really unique circumstance in terms of our strength coach. Our strength coach was at Illinois State. He was at North Dakota State as an assistant. And I think having him and his staff and the the just emphasis that Saginaw Valley State has put on strength and conditioning is a huge advantage for us in terms of recruiting offensive, defensive linemen, and tight ends and the in the big bodies. So I think that's been a big deal for us. And I think there's a lot of things that our head coach has done that have been really good in terms of he, he likes hiring like a lot of young guys. So I don't know if that was just I, later when he discovered that I was older than I think he thought I was. I don't know if that, that just means I'm immature or that I, you know, whatever that, whatever that was, I'm grateful <laughs> uh, to be on the staff, but he's big on just making sure that we're relatable to the kids. And he doesn't, you know, he didn't want a bunch of crusty old guys on the staff because those relationships end up being so big when things get difficult. So I think that's been something that's really good. That's allowed us to sell the school and, in the program and Saginaw Valley state's got a rich tradition. Obviously Jerry kill was here in the, in the you know, mid to late nineties and then had some tremendous teams in the, in the early two thousands. And Jim Collins had a lot of success here, won back to back to back conference championships in 11, 12 and 13. So um, we, we've got a lot of things. It's, it's, it's not a hard school to sell, but at the same time, I think, you know, it's, we're, we're essentially, and we've got that state school attachment, right? So people typically will have one thought in their head about what the school may or may not be, but it's, it's a tremendous academic school. There's about 1,500 kids per year that we'll admit. So I want to say one of the people across campus today told me we have about 6,500 undergraduates. So you kind of get that private environment in terms of small class sizes and some of those things that are advertised about private schools, which I think makes a more challenging environment for the students. So I think that's really important for us to make sure that we can't, you know, take guys that don't, you know, don't have grades and aren't equipped to have success at our place. So I think that's been a really big deal for us in terms of understanding the fit because our head coach was at Ferris. And so um, they did it a little bit differently over there, a little bit different fit, a little bit different, and they've been tremendously successful. There's uh, their head coach is a super successful Michigan high school coach. And so I think it's, it's been a little bit of a transition just in terms of understanding you know, how we're different and what type of kid we have to recruit and, and how we're going to get to where we want to go and things like that. So, but that was a huge thing just for me in terms of learning everything that those guys were doing. Cause obviously he's won a bunch of GLIAC championships and made deep runs into the playoffs. And so I got a chance to get to know all of those guys. Cause a bunch of those came, a bunch of those guys came over when, when coach got hired in 2019. So that's been a really, really neat thing, both for our program and just for me personally to get to learn so much about, just other kind of brands of football and different things that I, I didn't necessarily know very much about before and things like that. So I'm rambling here a little bit, but that's just a few of the things that we try to sell in terms of what, what our place is. And obviously I, I think the, the thing I would, I would kind of close with is just no kids ever going to go to, you know, pick a, pick a mid-major school if they've got an LSU offer. And so we kind of talk to kids about that because there is a lot of division two football in Ohio and there's some in Indiana and there's a lot of division two recruiting over in Illinois and some of these other places. And we really think that there's, you know, there's more NFL guys that are going to come out of our league. There's more guys that are going to get into to training camps and things like that. And we think now it's extremely difficult to win a national championship out, out of this conference just because we just, we all have to play each other, you know? So it's, and it's just like top to bottom, everybody's got, is fully funded and has indoor facilities just it's it's really really high level of football and we beat each other up all season so it's very difficult to then go win five more games so I think that's kind of been uh, tough for a couple of the teams that 
realistically, you could argue, you know, had had some of the better teams in the country over the course of the last 10 years. And the league is just so good top to bottom. Um, but no kid is ever going to say, no, I'd rather, you know, go to this mid-major school versus go to like an LSU or an Auburn or someplace like that. So we feel, really feel like if we go out a little ways, if we go into some of the neighboring states that have a lot of Division II recruiting occurring, kids that are true competitors, they want to compete at the highest level. So um, when it comes to when, when you, I found a lot of different instances over the last two or three years since we started talking a lot about that, the guys are like, yeah, it's easy. This is the highest level of competition. This is where I want to come. So, um, and obviously you have to battle. Well, then that kid ends up, you know, he gets an FCS and, and, you, and you lose him in some of those things. But that's just kind of how you know you're on the right kids, I think. So uh, some of the different things that we've done. So, Well, Coach, so I'm, I'm also kind of curious. You know, you guys got, it sounds like, put in a really, you know, weird position this year. Um, you know, I'm not sure when you knew you weren't going to have a fall um, season, but you knew you might have a spring and, and, you know, just how crazy this year has been. No doubt. Obviously, I'm sure you as a coach, like all of us, and I'm sure the kids too, you guys wanted to talk football. You wanted to do everything that they would allow you to do, but also, you know, you, you didn't have games. How did you guys balance that at your school? How did you balance how many Zoom meetings to have, even though it's the off season, but you haven't got to play football in over a year. So I'm sure the kids and the coaches are fiending for it. How did you guys sure. set that up? So we spent about the first six weeks, two months, and coach did a really good job keeping them busy. And so we were lifting and doing skill work and things like that. So we couldn't, we essentially flipped the schedules. So all of the rules and regulations and all those things that we have in the fall, we now have in the spring and all the things that we would normally have to abide by in the spring in terms of schedules and things like that, different, you know, you're, you have eight hour weeks and you have 20 hour weeks and it just kind of depends on which season you're in, in terms of which one you can use and things like that. So uh, for us, we, we essentially treated the fall like a spring and after about six weeks, two months, we did have, you know, we, we did a really good job did not get paused, I think, but once in terms of obviously battling the COVID like everybody is. But uh, and then we we did you know about 15 practices at the end of the at the end of the fall, and then we left and went home and didn't come back after Thanksgiving. And the kids took their finals online and things like that. And so I think for us, the kids are working out in the morning, and obviously there was a lot of NCAA paperwork and different things that we had to do. And this was really unique. I mean, for me personally, because I've never done this before. Um, but we we went and watched practices. So if we were recruiting kids, we couldn't do any of the camps. And I, I was, and our staff was just so concerned about how are we going to do this whole thing, knowing that we're not going to have any of these camps and we're not going to have any of these evaluations. I'm used to evaluating, you know, five hundred, a thousand offensive linemen, whatever it is, and we'll go to you know ten MAC camps. We'll have four of our own. We'll have our own D line camp and some of those different things. And I could almost always get in front of about every kid I felt like you know in the Midwest that he, we had any realistic shot at. I was able to get in front of all those guys and invite those kids to camp if they had any level of interest. And we didn't get that this year, so we tried to do everything that we could, and that's the base and kind of the the, the main thesis point was we tried to do everything we could every time we got a chance to bring kids up you know we brought them up and if that got shut down we could go watch them we would go watch them and follow the protocols and do all the things that they were asking us to do and just evaluate as much as we could and I think we were pretty fortunate because some other places you know guys you know they weren't letting them leave campus or they 
had different restrictions or things like that, or they couldn't go to games or they couldn't get into the games or some of these different things were happening up here. Originally Michigan was not going to have a high school season. And then they changed and, and went back and did one. And then they paused it. And then they started back up again in January. I mean, you got kids playing football in, in January, the state championships, I think were just a couple of weeks ago here. They started back up and finished. But so for us, it was essentially as controlled a mad scramble to get our board. I think that, as we could, but I think the the saving grace of this whole thing is because of huddle. There's almost nobody that you can't go evaluate. There's almost you know no kid that doesn't have their huddle highlights up there. There's no, there's it's very easy to sit at your computer screen and essentially comb a really large area if you're willing to sit there and watch enough tape and check out enough kids and talk to them and zoom them. And then we got our top fifty, and then we zoomed our top fifty, and then we did all these different things and watched a bunch of the kids play. And so I think we were fortunate because we were allowed to do a little bit more maybe than some other schools that we were competing against. And the other thing that we had that was a huge issue was you know, none of our seniors really were going to leave. So we have a couple guys that are going to leave, but typically, okay, well, you lose X amount of scholarship dollars, then you go recruit with X amount of scholarship dollars. And that's what you do at the division two level. We've got 36 scholarships. So I think for us, we, we originally there for a while said, okay, well, how much do we have? And they said, ah, uh, well, well, we'll figure that out pretty soon. I'm like, okay, well, that's, uh, I'm going to go like order some food. Like how much do I have? Do I have like a hundred dollars? Do I have like $5? It's going to be a different order, you know? So I think that was tough for everybody just because we didn't know any of those things for a while. And we have a really, we, our head coach is awesome. And essentially just said like, you figure out what we need. Let's meet about it. Let's talk about it and let's go get it. And we'll figure out a way to make it happen uh, when we need to. And all those promises were kept and, and it ended up being a really good situation. And, and, and anytime you're, I, I was lucky because I had the deck stacked from the beginning of it. Cause I, I just have a head coach that really values the offensive line, which is obviously a great situation to be in. I knew we were going to figure out a way that if we found really good players that we were going to find a way to make sure that we were able to get them. But Long story short, it, we did everything we could and we adjusted as much as we could and as fast as we could and did the best job we could. So, Coach, you talk about, you know, building offensive lines at, at that college level. Um, again, another question I love to ask the, uh, the college guys that are on, um, you know, what's kind of the, the recru recruiting philosophy? You know, are you trying to bring in an entire offensive line every year? You know, uh, are you one of those guys that, hey, I'm going to take, you know, every left tackle and I'll teach them how to play center? Or are you one of those guys that's like, you know what, we got to have some specialized guys. We got to have, you know, big road graders. We got to have, you know, athletic uh, dudes or you take kind of a mixed bag. I'm always kind of interested to hear, you know, your, your philosophy when it comes to, you know, taking dudes. Yeah. And, and I think for us, I, I listened to a podcast like a while ago and it was Tim Kite and Urban Meyer talking about his philosophy and his requirements and his criteria in terms of evaluating offense, you know, not offensive linemen, obviously, but evaluating any of the players and things like that. So that's been a really good experience for me in terms of to write some of these things down. But I think there's a couple key components. There's an intelligence component. There's an athleticism component. There's a fit component. And I think we, we go with those, those things and then we, we kind of divulge from there. 
into a couple other more specialized areas, but I, we, we can't take offensive linemen if they can't think on their feet. So you could be the biggest, most athletic guy on earth. If, if you're going to go left when we need you to go right, it really doesn't make any difference. So that's always been a really big deal for me. Uh, this would be a great time for me to point out that I, I have always believed offensive linemen are smarter than everybody else, but I would not do that because I don't want to offend anybody. But uh, I think it's really important, honestly, and, and you guys have been in situations and play, you know, coach a lot of football games and things like that. And I think for us, we, that that's a big deal. And then I think there's a certain amount of things you got to be able to do. Ankle flexion is a big deal in terms of the athleticism component. You got to be able to bend. You got to be able to have some twitch and some, some initial suddenness and things like that. Uh, and and then I think there's a fit component of you have to have a certain amount of length in order to play on the edge. That doesn't necessarily mean height. That doesn't mean you have to be six foot eight. We're not having a dunk contest, but you have to like the guys playing defensive ends. Now those guys used to be safeties. So if there's not length on the edge, you're going to struggle. And I think that the, the metric component that I always use is there's a certain amount, you know, there's a certain weight that you have to be able to carry. Some guy can carry the, that weight if they're, you know, five foot 11. Some guys, you know, maybe can't carry it if they're six foot four. So I think a lot of times guys say, well, this guy isn't, this guy isn't six four, so he can't do it. It's like, well, man, he's a really lean, just thick six two, 300. You're telling me that guy can't play at, at the division two level. So I think sometimes we can outthink ourselves in terms of some of those metrics that we use. Um, but it's, you have to be able to do these certain things athletically and the center is easy. I mean, we could talk for an hour about recruited centers and what those guys have to be able to do because of the different challenges that you have playing center. But we find those guys that have those athletic components that we think have that, the intelligence and the savvy and the, and the work ethic and all those things. And then we take the biggest guys that we can. So it's, I've been, I've listened to guys that were at schools where, you know, their criteria essentially eliminated every guy that they could have conceivably recruited, you know? And so it's okay. Well, you know, what do they have to be able to do? That, I was always more into that. And so I think when I was at Grand Valley, uh, coach Quinn, you know, coach Quinn played division three football. And so I think he always had a really unique way that he went about constructing those offensive lines. And so, you know, I talked to a guy that is at a different Division II conference, and they're not at the top of their conference. And essentially his criteria that he was explaining to me, that would have eliminated, I want to say I figured, like eight of the starting offensive linemen on those four national championship teams that we had based on those criteria. But at the same time, if you look at the functionality of it, how intelligent is he? How functionally can he do all those things? Okay, is he tough enough to do it? Uh, and, you know, is he intelligent enough to do it? Then you have to start there and then go take the biggest, longest guys, you know, that you can get. And I think there are a couple key metrics that you do have to mind in there. You can't take all sawed off inside guys because you have to have, you know, you have to be able to deal with edge rushers and things like that. But at the same time, you guys have seen this all over the place. It's like, wow, that guy was not very good, but he's six foot seven. So he's going to the school and, and they didn't take this other kid that I've got that's better. That type of thing happens all the time. So I think, the function when you when you bring it back to the functionality, like can he do these things that we need him to do? That's always made it really clear to me in terms of what we should do. And again, we're certainly not perfect, and it's definitely an inexact science. I think how we, but if you take a bunch of 
tough, athletic, intelligent dudes that can functionally do all the things that you need to do. Um, I think that's how you get it done. I think at any level. So when we were at Alma uh, for two years. All right. Prior to me getting there. Okay. We, we ran for like about 90 yards a game and like two and a half yards of carry. And then the last two years we were like on average about two fifteen a game. One of those years we set the school rushing touchdowns record. And the, on, on average of those two years, we you know, were about like four and a half a carry. And a lot of those guys were sought off guys that I love that really just were not getting recruited at the next level up because people were enamored with, you know, their height and, you know, this, that, and the other. And I, I definitely found that taking too many sought off guys can definitely hurt you if you want to throw the ball a lot. So that's, you know, when you see air raid teams and things like that, taking a lot of long guys, like, well, you got to understand that's, that's such an equalizer when you're trying to throw the football and pass block guys. But I think, you know, we, we not only have a coach that really values offensive line and values the things that we do and what we want to do in the run game and things like that. But I think he really values being physical and wanting to, um, you know, pound the football on, on, you know, teams that we play against and, and we're definitely, definitely improving and getting better and things like that. Um, but I, I think at the same time, you want to be able to do both things. You don't want to like, like we're not, you know, army Navy, we're not, we're not doing those things. Um, but those are just some of the criteria. And obviously it's always a work in progress. And I think this was a really new, unique year because a lot of like Mac schools didn't like, didn't have very many scholarships. A lot of power five schools didn't have very many scholarships because they were, you know, these, this year didn't count against a lot of the guys. And so nobody was leaving. And so I think this was a super unique year for us in terms of some of the guys that we were able to get. So, um, but I think, like I said, those are some of the things that we've done in terms of trying to, trying to build good offensive lines. So. So coach with, when that new rule came out, is that something that, you know, your head coach, you guys have to have a staff meeting and, and, and he's got to tell everyone, you know, basically his decision on, on what he wants to do with, with, you know, say the seniors that aren't starting. I mean, does he have to sit down and tell everyone, Hey, you know, these kids that want to stay can, and I know all the scholarships are technically, you know, one year renewable, at least that's what my college coaches always told us. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, is that something that you, every staff has to sit down and say, Hey, either we're doing this or we're not. Is it something everyone just kind of assumed? Okay. We'll let everyone that wants to stay, stay. How did all that work this year? Cause that, that is just such a, a new deal. And, and I'm sure, I'm sure there's kids that, you know, there's programs that they've got some seniors that they know we're not going to help them. And, and they could, you know, they'd probably rather have that scholarship, but then that also, you know, looked poorly on them. Was that a meeting you guys had to go and sit in on, you know, how did all that work? We did. And, and we're really lucky just because SVSU is, has been awesome through this whole pandemic. Cause I mean, about three quarters of the people that I know were furloughed at some point or, had to deal with, you know, pay reductions or some of these different things. We were very fortunate uh, that were the school essentially said, we'll, we'll commute all those scholarships. So all those guys, essentially the NCAA said to us, you don't have to count any of those against your 36. And the problem that all the schools have is like, okay, that's fine, but we have a pot of money and that's all we have. Like it, whether you count them or not, like it's, it's in there and that's, you know, gotcha. that's, that's all we have. Whereas SVSU, is and it, we just have outstanding leadership, so we're pretty fortunate. But they essentially said, "We'll we'll 
put that in a, in a separate pot. We'll just, we'll take care of all the seniors and it doesn't count. And we'll, it's a one-time, you know, expenditure and things like that. And so uh, we're just very, very blessed in terms of just the, which is obviously rare in this day and age to huh, have sure. financial leadership, like, like what we have. And so we were able to go through this whole thing in, in much better shape, I'm sure than, than most folks. But um, so that in, we there was periods of time where we said okay well there's a couple different options a couple things that they might ultimately decide to do i think svsu did the right thing even though it probably wasn't the cheap or the easy thing which is a theme here which is why it's a great place but um so and i, and I think our head coach had advocated really heavily for that and i think it's pretty clear that i think that the thing that you always think about with, with some kids you know and, and i don't know if you guys can relate to this after after i was playing football college football for five years my body was saying, Hey, uh, maybe you should take a COVID waiver and stop. Cause <laughs> this is right. like, so I think we wanted all those guys to graduate and we really wanted all those guys. Um, so we didn't want guys coming back for one semester and start a graduate program with no intention to finish it. I think that was something that was pretty important. So, um, obviously, it, you know, and we got a lot of great players in that senior class. So we wanted those guys to kind of plan their, their, period of time so that they could get a graduate degree and come back and play their last year and we have a bunch of guys in that in that group that are definitely have we've been contacted by nfl teams about and we think are really good players and things like that so they've got those aspirations so we did have one young man that essentially this is supposed to be his fourth year and so he's gonna he's gonna go i i hope i think he's got a really good chance to, to get drafted or picked up it was really talented it was a bummer that we didn't get to have a season here because he would have had a huge season but um, so there's some guys that are like, listen, I'm, you know, I've got other things I got to be doing, you know, that type sure. of thing. So we didn't have any issue in terms of all our guys graduated here. I think there's one, you know, story in the last 12 years of a guy coming here and not graduating. It was, he had like a five-year NFL career and then started a business and has a beautiful family and is crushing life. And so we're not bugging him too much about <laughs> not graduating, but it's, it's, it's a pretty good place in terms of student support and things like that. And, and, uh, kids that hang in the program and they graduate almost universities. So we've been pretty lucky in terms of that stuff, but all those conversations were had. And, and I guarantee that there's a lot of really rough conversations that were had different places around the country at places that were struggling for money. I mean, you saw you know, programs shut down, you saw programs mm -hmm. drop football, you saw all these things happening. And, and I think, I think the good thing is, man, America really loves football. And we, we want to continue to, to have as many opportunities for, players and coaches and communities and things like that so I think that's always been because there's a lot of different I mean I've seen a lot of guys get out of coaching during the pandemic it's like man what's going to happen is my job still going to be there at the college level you know if they were at a school that wasn't great for shape financially and things like that that's kind of the thought that has always really kind of given me a lot of comfort it's, Man, America love this we live in a country that loves football and wants to see it continue to grow and thrive and I think you can obviously as, as fired up as everybody was to see the NFL season start to see power five football come back and to see kind of things get back to normal. So we can put a hundred thousand people in a stadium and go watch a football game again and kind of get back to normal seeing things like that. I think that as excited as the world is for that to continue to happen, I think it's, it's hard not to be excited about where we're going and feel pretty optimistic about where we're going. So. Well, I completely agree with that coach. Well, well, it's been an hour and we don't want to spend too much of your time, but, but before we let you go, the one thing I always love to ask guys is, is when you're watching another team's offensive line, what's some things they'd be doing that would make you think highly of their offensive line coach? The way they pick up movement, the way they pick up movement. When you watch teams pick up blitzes, 
when you watch teams uh, just you know deal with run blitzes on first downs and things like that, I think we've kind of had a chance in the last 10 or 12 years to run about every different scheme that you could imagine and have a <laughs> decent understanding of those things. And when we're running less of them, we're always better. I, we know that. All right. I know that, but um, yeah, how they pick up movements always the first thing. And, and obviously, you know, that's what we spend all our time on because those are the hardest things to deal with. That's why those stinking defensive guys move all around the place to try to, to try to get us to make mistakes. And so, but that's the biggest thing I always look for. Coach, man, been an absolute blast here for an hour. It's gone fast. And uh, I know, I know it, it, you guys didn't get to play in the fall. And I know, you know, maybe it's a, it's a selfish thing to say, but um, I'm, I'm actually excited for this spring <laughs> because there will be, you know, some, some football that I maybe normally don't get a chance to watch that now, Hey, I get a chance to watch, you know, the, the FCS programs here in Iowa, Northern Iowa is going to be playing and uh, you guys are going to be playing. So I'm actually excited to be able to kind of, you know, be able to tune in and see some of these things going on. For sure. We'll be, I'll be watching, man. I'll be watching. I'm just as excited as you guys are. I promise. So well, good deal. Well, thanks again, guys. I really appreciate it. I'm a huge RTP fan. So I, I've listened to tons of these things and I, I just, I'm very grateful and thankful and appreciate that you guys have me on. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again, thank all of our sponsors. You guys make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about run the power. And if you enjoy running the power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it will allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.